Chigoe, an only way podcast series focusing on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. Gwe, Akjalasi, Delawisi Shandok. Hello and welcome. My name is Sean Doak. I'm a proud member of the Lennox Island First Nation and communications officer with Olnue. Welcome to Jigue. I'm your host, and today I am fortunate to be joined by Zabrina Whitman. Zabrina was on the podcast previously, and we've been talking about the process and, and what that was. And so this episode is a continuation of that conversation. So we're going to be talking about Ninak Nogama, what exactly that is. Uh, what it means for the communities here in Epicwit, otherwise known as Prince Edward Island. So, Zabrina, thank you very much for joining me today. It's great to have you back. Great to uh, speak with you again, even if it's virtual. Um, it's been a while. It's been a while. I'm so excited. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Zabrina. That means a lot to me. So the last time we spoke, um, we'd been calling this the process, and now it's actually got a name. It's titled Ninak Nogama. So maybe as a quick recap, you could just uh, summarize what exactly Ninak Nogama is. Sure. So Ninak Nogama actually means me and my relations. How the name came about is uh, Illinois actually had a competition to reach out to community members to say, what do we call this process? And uh, names were submitted. And this was the name that was chosen by the leadership. Mm -hmm. But what does it actually mean, right? Um, so what this process is about, what Nin Ak Nogama means is exactly what it's called. It's me and my relations. It's the Mi'kmaq on Epiquit taking control over its nationhood and defining for itself who is a member of its nation. So basically what we're saying is, who is an Aboriginal and treaty rights holder on the province of Prince Edward Island. And it's about decolonizing our mind and saying, no, we're not within this structure of the Indian Act. We're not defining who is an Indian, but instead we're defining who is Mi'kmaq. Moving out uh, from under the thumb of the federal government and, and, em and embracing and asserting that uh, sovereignty that the Mi'kmaq nation uh, has and has always had. What has been done so far to begin this process? So we really started things in July of 2020. We had an online town hall and launched the process and had open conversations with community members. And coming out of that town hall, the feedback we heard from community members is they want more engagement and more feedback into the process. So what we did is developed seven questions and then we had Julie and Richard Lush and Jamie Thomas go out and interview community members over the fall and winter to get their feedback on this process. So we've received all of the information from these interviews, 350 were completed, both representing equally on and off reserve. 9% actually were community members who live out of the province. So that's really great. It was a diverse number of individuals who participated. And that in information provided us data to say, where do we go from here? And so that information we're now using for the next steps moving forward in this process. So what type of questions have you been asking people? Like, what do these interviews maybe look like? So the information that we asked community members, we asked seven questions. Uh, the first was, if we could design a future for our people, what would that picture look like to you? The second one was, what do you value as Mi'kmaq? What are our priorities? The third is, what does it mean to you to be Mi'kmaq? The fourth was, who would be the beneficiaries of Mi'kmaq rights and title on Epiquit? The fifth was, how far back should someone be able to claim Mi'kmaq ancestry? 
The sixth was who should be a part of the decision-making process, who determines who should be accepted by the Mi'kmaq. And the last question was, if you live on Prince Edward Island and are Mi'kmaq, but not from one of the two bands, should you still be eligible to benefit from Mi'kmaq rights? So they were really in-depth questions. Uh, and we learned through this process that uh, we got really great feedback. And importantly, community members said the questions might have been a little too in-depth. Uh, questions about like, what do you mean by beneficiary? Or what is this process about? Which was really informative because it's framed how we're moving forward in terms of this work. So it illustrated gaps where we have to ask more questions, but it really said to us, whoa, we need to focus on just explaining what this work is about, explaining what different terminologies mean. Like I said, beneficiaries, heir, Aboriginal, status, Indian, like to make sure that the community members or members of the nation all have the same foundations of information before we ask more questions. So they need to be more comfortable with the process. And that's what's really exciting about the work that Illinois does is they truly listen to what community members are saying. So we asked information, we asked questions, we got really great information back from community members, but we also heard that, okay, you need to step back a little bit and go back to the basics for us. And that's what we're doing. We've pivoted to make sure that we represent and hear exactly what community members are asking for. It's so important that the community understands uh, the work that we do. And what have community members been saying so far? What have some of the responses uh, been like to some of those questions? Well, in addition to like that general feedback they gave us, what we heard in terms of from community members in particular is the importance of culture, language, and traditions in this work and the role that family and community play in an individual's identity. So I think that's significant because it says that we need to ensure in the development of this process that ingrained throughout the whole process is our culture, our traditions. We need to make sure aspects of Mi'kmaq languages and within it. And it's also saying, just like the title is Nin Ak Nogama, that it is, our identity is completely framed around our connection to our community and our relations with our family members. And that is how we define ourselves. So I think that information is really significant in this process, but we also heard information from community members, like other priorities is housing, economic development, self-sufficiency. So community members were also articulating what is important to them right now. And that's one of the challenges we have when we talk about negotiation items, is that it's us dreaming of how we want our future to be. It's us taking self-determination over our rights and our identity. And while that's important, it doesn't relate to our everyday concerns. And so community members articulated that. And I think that's important to bring forward. One of the most amazing pieces of information we received through this process was when we asked, what does it mean to be Mi'kmaq? And across the board, everyone said pride. And like, I get goosebumps just talking about that because I yeah. think that's so significant for us to say that that's what it means. It's just, we are proud to be who we are. Mm -hmm. um, some of the information that came out a little bit later on because it was influenced by the, the fishing activity happening in Southwest Nova was conversations about feeling shame in the past or, or pieces about racism. 
but individuals were like, we don't feel that anymore. And even if people are racist towards us, we're still gonna be proud of who we are and our identity. So I wow. think that's really powerful. Like it's, it's so amazing to hear people mm -hmm. say that. Um, other information we heard back too from community members, and it shows that there's a bit of confusion and work we need to do is when we asked, well, who should be the beneficiaries? Like I said, people said, well, what do you mean by beneficiaries? And the responses we received were quite diverse. People said, well, it should be all community members, or they said all band members, or only people who have status, or individuals said all Aboriginals, or all Mi'kmaq, or all Indigenous people, or all people on Prince Edward Island. And so for me, when I go back, because I didn't conduct the interviews, I just analyzed the data. I'm like, well, when they say all Indigenous peoples, do they actually mean just all Mi'kmaq? When they say all people on Epiquit, do they actually mean all people? Do they specifically mean all Mi'kmaq. So as said, the next steps going forward is trying to get clarification on terms or really providing that foundation about what the terminology means. And that question really demonstrated that there's diverse understandings of terminology. And unless we ask clarification from community members in terms of what they mean, there's going to be confusion. And so we can't be clear in terms of what people are saying unless we provide that clarity. And unless we ask more questions, because everyone may be saying the same thing, but just using different terms, but we don't know that. So that's one of our really big gap areas that we have to work on. Um, the other piece that I think was significant coming out of this was the question of if you are Mi'kmaq, but not originally from Epiquit, so you're living here, but your band is from outside the province, should you be included in the process? And and when we say process, have the ability to exercise your Aboriginal and treaty rights. And the original responses we heard from folks was, well, concerns about double dipping. Oh, yes. And, and but it was very much related to the Indian Act. Like, so they, they were referencing, well, if you belong to your band and you receive funds or services and programs from your band and you come here, you're taking away from our community members here. But that conversation really changed when the fishing situation happened. And I think that's one benefit I can take out of what was happening in Southwest Nova around moderate livelihood is that community members then had a tangible example of what we actually were talking about. We're not talking about the Indian Act. We're talking about something different. Mm. And so when they had that tangible example, I actually saw in the interview questions and the responses, a completely different response from community members. So in that way, I see this as a the moderate livelihood situation as a positive and just that it gives us a real world example for community members to work from to understand this is what we're talking about when we're talking about self-determination over our identity. That's fascinating. And actually, that was my next question is, you know, has the treaty protected fishery or moderate livelihood fishery issue factored into any of these discussions? And it certainly sounds like it has. I know you mentioned bringing community members up to speed, making sure people are on the same page. So have there been any particular challenges or difficulties um, in getting people on board with this work and, and bringing them up to speed? And if so, um, where would you say? So I think, like I said, we had 350 participants. I know that Richard and Julie really reached out to everyone and, and tried to get as many people involved. And there are some people who declined, which I think 
isn't an issue because that's everyone's right. And we have to be open and honest about that, that not everyone wanted to participate within this work or felt comfortable right now. So that just shows that we need to, again, engage more, really ensure that individuals understand what it is that we're working on, but also respect individuals' rights to not want to participate. And that's what makes a really powerful process or organization is one that says we respect your autonomy and your voice, and we will actually share your feelings with everyone as well, so that people know that it's not a, it's not work that everyone is agreeing on. That it's not all sunshine and rainbows. That's important. You have to be open and honest about the work that you're doing, especially when it relates to our rights, especially when it relates to identity because people need to trust the work and know that you're being transparent and open. And so I think that's significant from this work. And it was really important too that everyone's voices were heard. So as I said, like there was an equal representation of voices on and off reserve, also demographics from like youth, elders, people who are harvesters right. and traditionalists and people living outside the province who are from Epiquit because all of these individuals have different concerns and a different way that they identify with being Mi'kmaq. And when you live within the province, your connection to your community is different from outside the province. So those voices have to be represented and we have to ensure in this work in terms of what we've already done and moving forward that all of those voices are heard and everyone has the opportunity to be heard if they want to be. So what stage would you say we're at in the Ninoc Nogama uh, process right now? I know that you've kind of, there have been interviews done, um, some feedback has been gathered, analyzed. Um, what would you say uh, are the next steps, I guess? Yeah, I would say that's the perfect word, next step, in term, <laughs> instead of saying stages, because when I look at stages, it means that this is a very linear process and we have to be done by this point, and we have to reach these certain deliverables by this certain time, but we're Mi'kmaq and we never, what's important is we have to allow the space for conversation and questions and for everyone's voice to be heard. And so we're long-winded folks and we take time uh, <laughs> to develop processes and get to the point where we want to be. Storytelling is a huge aspect. So if we have like specific, like by this date, we want to achieve this and this and this, then we're not going to create a process that is Mi'kmaq and we're not gonna create something that takes into consideration all of the issues that need to be looked at. Um, if we rush something, there's going to be something that we miss. And we really need to make sure we address all of those questions, gaps, and folks feel comfortable with the work, but that it actually represents their voices. So in terms of like next steps, as I said, we heard back from community members that we really need to ensure that we have a stronger foundation of what it is that this work is about and that everyone has an understanding of the different terminology being used. So that's our focus right now is going back and communicating on this information. And at the same time from the interviews, it also said like some areas that we need further research on as well, like adoption was a piece that came out as a, an issue that there were differences of opinions and maybe we need to present different scenarios to community members going forward. So, but we're not there yet. We have to focus on the communication piece and foundations first. So that's where we're at right now is those foundations communicating on that. And then in winter, cause we're gonna focus on that over the fall doing individual communication, but also community sessions and engagement sessions that are a little bit more 
encompassing because we wanted to have just one-on-one -on -one conversations before. Uh, so we'll have a broader communication and outreach strategy or engagement strategy. And then, then in the winter, we'll look at what was heard from community members and their responses. And that will give us an idea of where we move forward from that. So I've heard a little bit of the enrollment committee. I'd like to know um, just a little bit more about that. And I'm wondering if you could speak about it. Sure. So that was one of the questions that was asked is who should be a part of the decision making process. And in any type of process um, where you're determining who should be a member of a nation or another country's its citizenship, you need to have a decision making body. And it's really important for the Mi'kmaq, like when we know that so many people, not just Mi'kmaq, but indigenous peoples across Turtle Island, there's folks out there self-identifying as being a member of different nations. And that can't be the only component within this process because our identity is about community and the ownership and decision-making has to relate back to the community and the nation and the families. So that's what the enrollment committee is, is it's ensuring that people who are identifying as being Mi'kmaq from Epiquit are in fact Mi'kmaq. That big aspect of this process has to be the nation confirming and determining who is a member of the nation. So that's what the role of the enrollment committee is. When asking that question, what we heard from community members in terms of who should be deciding who's a member of the nation is they said 100% elders always have to be a part of this process. So I think that's really important. A lot of people said youth as well. And the majority of folks also said membership clerks, which I think is important because they were they know really who is connected to who um, within the communities. So I think we need to have representation from all of Epiquit on and off reserve of those specific roles. We also heard from community members in terms of who should be a part of this enrollment committee and decision-making. Some people said chief and council, others said it shouldn't involve chief and council. For me, I think what I would recommend is not including chief and councils in this enrollment committee because it's really important that the folks making the decision or reviewing the applications coming in through this process are impartial. And when you have people in political positions, they may be impartial, but it creates questions or concerns about the impartiality right. of the committee itself. So you want to ensure that the folks that are selected for this are individuals who really can be um, objective and fair and that the nation trusts that they can play that role. And when you're in a political role, um, there's community members don't always trust that those folks can be impartial. So we really want to ensure that people have full trust that there are no political influences, mm. potentially, like any even perceived in this process. So for me, I recommend not having political leaders on it because I don't want any question of a doubt in community members' minds that the decision-making process is impartial. Mm. That's very important. And, you know, trust, I think, is at the, the foundation, the core of everything that we do for the community. And I'm just wondering, is there any talks um, around how people for a committee like that would be selected? Or is that just something that's maybe not quite at that stage yet? Not at that stage yet. But I think like that's that's a next step. Right. And so that's a great question to ask is 
it's where we need to go. We can't go there yet. The only reason I say that is because of the feedback we heard, we just really need to do that communication piece about what it is we're talking about and ensuring everyone's on the same page or has the same foundation uh, for what this work is. And then the next step after that, we'll be saying, okay, here's the gaps on questions, just as, as you said, where do we go from here? How do we determine who should be selected for these positions? And do you agree with my recommendation? Because this is just me recommending uh, how it should be set up based off the information we collected, but community members might come back and say, okay, now that we've looked at it and we understand what you're saying, we actually don't agree with what we said now. We think it should be this. Uh, and that's what's important about having an open and honest conversation is I just present the information based off what we heard. And then it's community members' responsibility or role, I should say, to tell me, did we hear them accurately or not? And if we didn't, what changes do we have to make? And that's what this is about. It's about a dialogue and conversation back and forth. Absolutely. And you mentioned that some of those next steps are communicating and engaging with community members to bring them up to speed to make sure that they know what terms like beneficiaries, what terms like heirs mean. I'm wondering if you could talk about some of the specific next steps. Yeah, we're working on it right now, hoping to get it off the ground and starting the next engagement piece in the next few weeks. Importantly, we have written material that's already developed that one talks about just as we did today, what were the questions, what was the feedback we received or the responses and what are our next steps? And then another communication piece, putting all of that terminology in a document so folks have it to refer to. So everyone will have copies of all of this. There will be mail outs provided, but then we're having the actual communication piece too. So we're looking at what that would look like, but I think importantly, town halls or uh, engage actual engagement sessions are important, one-on-one -on -one conversations, just to talk about these terms and allow people the opportunity to ask more questions if they need to. And because uh, it's really complex stuff that we're talking about, or it's not so much that it's complex, but we're working in a negotiation world, a legalistic world. So how do you break down legal terms because we're so scared when we're working on these things to say, being like, oh, we can't use another term because legally it means this. Yeah, but every we just need to look at what does it actually mean? Because mm -hmm. uh, that's what's important is that individuals can understand what we're talking about. Like I said, have trust in the work that we're doing. So that's what this next phase is really looking at is doing those um, community I think community sessions or engagement sessions are important and, and engaging with different demographics too it's really important that we connect with our youth because they're the best educators out there because then they go home and are like oh I learned this term and this term and do you know about this and so they're educating their parents and their grandparents so they're a really important resource in terms of any work that we do because not only are they our future but as I said, they are these really great young educators too. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I learn so much from uh, from younger children. My next question: Is there any kind of way or plan to measure people's understanding? You know, I know you're going to be doing a lot of this work to go out and engage and communicate. How do you plan to follow or track community members' understanding so that you get a sense of whether or not people know what you're talking about? That's a good question. I didn't fully consider how we might do that measurement. 
because a lot of this is qualitative and it's so hard to measure qualitative information. I know we're keeping data of how many people we engage and what demographics they represent, um, but I think it isn't, and this is a bit of a challenge because it, going back to the same community members, we're trying to ensure their um, anonymity in terms of the overall information we collect from them. So how do we measure as we engage them along the lines that the progression of how they're understanding the process while supporting their anonymity, as I said, but one great tool that I really like, and we used it in Nova Scotia, is at nationhood gatherings, is that you give everyone a little button or flicker and you have a question on the screen and you ask everyone the same question and then everyone can hit the button to give their response. So it ensures anonymity uh, because you're not putting your hand up to get responses and you're not influenced by the folks around you. I mean, you can have a conversation with them, but no one knows what you actually click on the little clicker. And then it gives us quantitative data to say where people are sitting on different pieces. So I think that would be a really great tool. And I know it's something that we're looking at doing at the end of engagement is bringing everyone back together again. So I think that, as I said, would be a really great measuring tool. But in terms of individual information. I think that's a great suggestion is maybe at the end of it, we also have a little survey of saying, you know, we, if we engaged you before um, and engaging you now, do you feel like you've learned more information or have, have a tiny little survey? We also don't want to inundate people with too much information too, but Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Sean. No problem. My pleasure. I got to say, I really like the the clicker method or idea. I think it's, you know, we all know that when you get a community in a room, that there are a few voices that tend to speak a little bit louder than maybe the rest in the room. And so I think that that's a great way to make sure that all community members have a chance to have their say without feeling like they need to put themselves uh, on display uh, in front of everybody. So I also, I'm a fan of that idea as well. <laughs> yeah, it ensures that everyone has a voice and they feel safe expressing their voice. And that's why I also liked the individual engagement sessions, because again, or the interviews that we've already conducted, while it takes more time mm-hmm. and Again, they're like one to two hour lengthy conversations and it builds a one-on-one relationship and puts a face to a name for the organization. But it also allows people to feel comfortable in expressing their views because there aren't other people who could influence them or feel that they're being judged for their voices. And that's so important for me that everyone feels safe in having their voices heard. I love that you bring that aspect to the work that you do. I think it's so important and I just want to acknowledge that. And thank you really, because uh, yeah, it's, I think it's just a great way to go about it. Um, I, I appreciate you saying that, but really that's what this work is about is I just listen to what people have to say and look at it and present it back to them. And then it's their job to say, did I hear them correctly or not? And then we adapt it because it truly is your process. It's truly the process of Mi'kmaq on Epiguit. And I'm merely just the person listening to what's being said. So I'll ask you um, one final question, maybe just to kind of wrap it up. And this is maybe more your personal take on it than it is of what you've seen or heard. But why do you think this work is so important for the Epiguit Noir Mi'kmaq? Great question to ask. I can feel myself like getting a little bit teary-eyed just thinking about it, it's important because it's us taking self-determination over our identity. 
And it's the most powerful act that we can do for our nationhood and for, like I said, our self-determination. We've been oppressed for so long and it's the single most significant piece of what a nation is, is defining for yourself who is a member of your nation and your identity. If you don't have your identity, you don't have anything. So it's so exciting that Mi'kmaq and Epiquit are at the point right now where they can take control over this process and define who they are and say, no, we're no longer gonna be within the Indian Act or to be defined by the Indian Act. Others will no longer tell us who we are because we know who we are. Um, and that's exciting and that's powerful. And I'm just so excited for where this process goes and what community members have to say throughout this work. Yes, and I, I must say, just as a community member myself, it's very empowering to see the work taking place and, uh, and also playing a, a very, very small role in helping to move things forward. So thank you for the work that you do. I know that it's just the work that you do, but it means a lot to me. And I think it means a lot to the community because it is, it's huge. Like you said, I think it is the single largest, you know, most significant thing that we can take control of as Mi'kmaq and we define who we are. Is there anything else that we should chat about today, Sabrina, that I haven't, I haven't maybe asked you about or that we haven't covered? I don't think so. I just think going back to your last question, I know that it can be scary for community members what we're doing because we're used to being within the Indian Act or like, because this process is still, it's not saying that the Indian Act is going away, but it's saying we'll define for ourselves who is Mi'kmaq. And it's scary because we're so used to things being put upon us. And whenever changes happen, they haven't been good. And that's changes that others have put on us, whether it's the Crown or Western governments or the Canadian government. So it's scary to do something new, but it's not something new. What this process is about is just taking and listening to how each person defines for themselves or describes themselves as being Mi'kmaq, finding all the similarities in terms of what folks are saying and creating this process. So it shouldn't be scary. It's, it should be scary in the sense that it's something exciting and new because we're taking self-determination, which isn't something we've done. It shouldn't be something that you're fearful of having happen. And just be to be able to have a process, what not just this process, but what Illinois is doing, to be able to be a participant in something where your voice matters, and not only your voice matters, but you're dictating how it should go, and it's actually taking our cultural ways, consensus making, um, into its foundation, is so so exciting to me. Um, so community members should be applauded for, for their participation and whether their voices are saying, we don't like this work or we do like this work, um, they should be applauded just for vocalizing however they feel because every single voice is important and matters. Absolutely. I really liked what you said near the start there. You just said it's different in the sense that in the past, we've always had change put on us by Western governments or, or the crown. 
this is really unique, I think, because it's a change we're putting upon ourselves and we're in the driver's seat this time. So I think that's really unique and it's really exciting for me at least to see. And, uh, and I think you're absolutely right. Everybody who is involved, community members especially, should be applauded because it's not easy. These are not easy questions. It's not easy work. It's not going to happen overnight. But just the fact that we're doing it, I think, is, is really encouraging to see. Exactly. 100%. Well, well, Alan, thank you for your time today, Sabrina. It's been great chatting with you. And I hope to do so once again when there's more to report. Awesome. I can't wait to report back later too. Thank you, Sean. Thanks again, Sabrina. And just before we go, for any community members that may be listening, I'll quickly mention that you may have started to see some Ninok Nogama banners at the band offices. Uh, you'll be receiving some important information in the mail. And also keep an eye on our social media for Ninok Nogama info and related terms. This process is all about defining who, defining we, defining who we are as Epic Witnawa Mi'kmaq. I want to say Wilaliok, thank you to all those who are listening. And stay tuned for our next monthly episode. I'm Sitnogama, all my relations. To find out more about Ulnui and the Megamot Rights Reconciliation Process, visit ulnui.ca.